Well said. <laughs> yeah, always when in doubt, just say it's kind of fucked up. Welcome back to Do What You Can for the People, the show that nobody asked for. I'm here today with my good friend, Mo. Mo is a member of my MBA girl gang. She's my favorite ESG and data nerd, and she's my go-to cannabis expert. I'm so thrilled to have her on the show today to talk about the ESG issues and opportunities within the cannabis industry. Hey, Mo. Thanks so much for joining us today. Hi. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. Happy to have you. Um, Let's start with what ESG is for all the people who didn't go to school with us. And even for me, because to be quite honest, I wasn't entirely sure about what ESG was until really you started getting involved in it. So why don't you explain for all of us ESG, not fluent people, what it stands for and what it means. So ESG stands for environmental social governance. And as an acronym, it sort of lives under this umbrella term that is sustainability. Sustainability has a ton of problems and solutions that are involved with it. And ESG happens to be one little subsection. So it's really designed to help investors and companies understand things that are traditionally non-financial and see that is in fact connected to the company's financial health. And by non-financial, I really mean that it's traditionally not considered part of the company's balance sheet. So, you know, carbon emissions, not considered part of the company's balance sheet. So it's externalized. Even though somebody has to pay, it just isn't the company right now. So in general, ESG works to internalize those issues that are traditionally external. And there are a lot of ways to create change on environmental and social issues. It's just that one way to create change happens to be by going within the system and changing from the inside. And rather than trying to force it from the outside, which is what a lot of activists do, um, I think both need to happen to create real change. And that's ESG. ESG is making real change from the inside of the system. Yeah, I think what's really, what was really interesting to me about ESG is that you hear a lot of times that consumers are concerned with the environmental impacts and social impacts and like leadership of a company and they want to know like they want that brand transparency but what i thought was really interesting about esg is that it's showing that investors care as well um, which is not something that i necessarily thought would happen as quickly as it has so i'm really excited to see that esg is kind of coming to the forefront and people are talking about it and thinking about it before they make financial investments so that's really cool i think I think that's awesome. I think it's one of the quicker ways to make this kind of change happen. You know, the 100 companies are responsible for 70% of emissions, right? And so really you have to focus on the largest companies if you want to make that large change. The fastest way to make change truly is actually through regulation. That's not a realistic thing that's going to happen with this administration. So investors are really starting to make that connection for themselves. And there's been research dating back to, I'd say, the 80s that really say that if you understand material ESG issues, and if you manage them correctly, then 
there could actually be a positive impact on your, your business. Mm -hmm. But there's really no research out there that says that disclosing that, so really making a sustainability report, publishing that report, there's really no research that says that that helps your company. Mm -hmm. So investors are really a big stakeholder here, especially institutional investors, because they're really often a very large um, part of the ownership of a company. Yeah. They are seeing that long term, you can't be profitable if you're really exposed to increasing and more frequent natural disasters, for example. And if you understand that it's material and, and understand how you can actually make a change to adapt to that, then in fact, you're more resilient in the long term. And institutional investors are starting to make that switch and starting to ask companies to disclose that and they're incorporating that into their decision-making. And I think that's really interesting, but you know, it, it's really the tip of the iceberg. I think they're really only focusing on large companies. Large companies are the, really the only ones that are making that effort to track it and manage it and disclose it. And smaller and medium-sized companies really tend to lag, and it's because it takes a lot of resources. You have to, first of all, take the time to understand what is important to your company, what is material to your company, and then actually tracking that, choosing to disclose it, following up on that, staying accountable to those goals. It's really a whole hubbub, you know what I mean? It's just a lot of work and a lot of small and medium-sized companies are struggling to stay afloat as it is. So, you know, to add that on top of all the issues that they have to deal with, that's gonna be at the bottom of their list. So large companies are making that change. Once they really pioneer the way towards that, I think small and medium-sized companies will, um, they'll be able to follow some kind of blueprint. And then over time, hopefully the market really provides solutions for, for small and medium-sized companies. Because um, right now it's really just institutional investors pressuring large companies on top of consumers. Consumers are expecting it. But both of those ways, that kind of push and pull momentum for the money part of it, now they understand that it's, it's connected. And once their money is threatened, then ESG becomes important. Yeah, and I think also one of the important things to remember when you're talking about ESG is that, and in sustainability in general, is that no one is expected to have all the answers and all the solutions. I think that the first step to getting there, though, is being transparent and taking accountability for your impact. And um, one of the sayings that has been said to death in our program is what gets measured is, what is measured matters. I'm probably botching that somehow. Um, but the gist of it is that if you're not measuring something, you can't actually take action steps towards getting better and correcting things. And so that's why I think it's so important for the financial sector to start putting pressure on these companies, even if they don't have perfect ratings on anything, to at least start measuring it and being the industry leaders and saying, hey, as an industry, this matters and we're making a commitment to being better. So that's always really cool. Yeah, it's really exciting to see. I mean, you know, watching NASDAQ, for example, you know, publish their report and guide and really putting out more and more resources for people to understand it is really a big step. Yeah. And so let's switch now to talking about the cannabis industry and how ESG is especially important. Um, you have called the cannabis industry a perfect storm for ESG issues. And I'd love for you to talk about this a little bit. 
Oh man, cannabis is so interesting. I think people really give me a funny look whenever I tell them I'm interested in it. It's really, there's a big, uh, there's a stigma around it for yeah. sure. And, um, and I, I can't tell you how many times people looked at me like I had two heads, especially on top of saying that I have, I'm getting a master's in you know, sustainable business. That's so, so people were like, wow, that's a big waste, but it's super interesting. And I think I actually learned a lot about sustainability through the lens of cannabis. And I think it was just a very interesting, non-conventional industry to apply a non, um, just a non-traditional way to think about business. So yeah, cannabis is the perfect storm of ESG issues. Um, there's a lot of potential for sustainable solutions with the plant as a commodity. I mean, everybody thinks of marijuana and just smoking marijuana. Yeah, that's one thing. There's, I'm not gonna, uh, you know, I'm not a doctor. I'm not gonna say that there's, that I know of, uh, you know, medical benefits to it, but there's a lot of research that supports that. Um, you know, there's also, textiles with hemp. Mm -hmm. There's also building materials with hempcrete. And yeah. there's a lot of opportunity for this plant alone to create solutions that are less wasteful and could be introduced in a regenerative way instead of business as usual, what we're doing now, which is take, make, waste. Yeah. And I think, again, it's a lens to learn about ESG because they have significant issues in all three aspects and not everything has that esg is really interesting that's when i talk about materiality materiality means that if there's an issue in es or g there are some that mean a lot to you there are some that are directly impacting your business but there are some that really don't matter as much and so the cannabis industry has material issues in all three es and g and they're all interconnected and they're really important to consider for the financial health of this industry is very much financially material and i think it's a great case study for understanding what is esg how can it be managed and as an as an immature industry at least an, an immature legal industry mm -hmm. um it's it's got a long way to go and it's got a lot of potential for change. Yeah. That was one of the most exciting things about talking about this is how it is an emerging legal industry. And I think a lot of people are having this conversation about how it's an opportunity to set things up right from the get go. And so that is always exciting because it's so much harder to go back and change things that have been institutionalized in your industry for so long. So let's take what we've learned from other industries and what we see in other ESG sectors and kind of apply it to cannabis as it's emerging to make a more equitable industry for all. So that's always really fun to talk about. So let's dive into it. Let's start with the social. Uh, do you want to kick us off? Yeah. So I think a lot of people watching this are going to see where we're going. Um, it's historically the most prominent issue with cannabis. A lot of the tension that we see today has to do with black incarceration and police brutality it's a systemically racist institution and our society was really designed for people with my skin color to thrive and for people of color to be oppressed, specifically black and Latinx people with respect to cannabis. And that's not a political opinion, that's just a fact of life. Yeah. And you know, um, African Americans are arrested for violating marijuana possession laws at about 3.6 times the rate of white people. 
and in some states, up to 10 times more likely to be incarcerated. There's also what I mentioned before, just that stigma of marijuana in the US. I mean, think of marijuana compared to cigarettes. Cigarettes, plenty of research. They are mandated to have labels to tell you the health risks. Yet marijuana is illegal, and it has a reputation of lazy, good-for-nothing, unproductive couch potatoes. And you know, smoking cigarettes was cool. The jewel is cool. Um, and you know, I think that's an interesting social aspect that's really a symptom of the racial inequity that's really baked in there. Yeah. And as this industry becomes legitimate over time, it's important for companies to really deeply understand those racial issues because it's the foundation of cannabis. It's the foundation of the war on drugs. It's the foundation of why it's illegal and, and why there are so many roadblocks to getting it legalized. Yeah, I totally agree. And you had sent over a podcast for me to listen to in preparation of this episode. And I did listen to it. And it talks a lot about social equity, which I think is an important part of the discussion here and how in order for the cannabis industry to be socially equitable, you have to right the wrongs that have been induced by the drug war where people were incarcerated for engaging in the cannabis economy when it was illegal and they're still in jail or they've been released and now they have felonies that prevent them from getting most jobs, but especially from participating in the cannabis industry. And I think we'll get into this a little bit when we talk about governance next, but you've now got businessmen and politicians that are getting involved because it's a promising and lucrative industry, um, but yet the people who have essentially paid like the dues for the industry are not allowed to participate anymore. And so that becomes a big problem, I think. That is a fantastic example of externalizing your costs. Somebody else is paying for that cost. Yeah. It just is not on the balance sheet. Yeah, that's so true. And then no one's there to hold the emerging businessmen and politicians accountable for that cost. Right. And so there's a very interesting dichotomy with ESG here. And, uh, and, so, and that goes into governance, right? I think there are three layers of the governance. I find the governance to be totally fascinating when it comes to this. The social and environmental are very much, um, you, know, you know the problems, they're pretty much in yeah. your face about it, but governance is really where the change needs to happen the most. Because if you don't change the governance, the other two won't be able to change. Mm. So the first one, obviously, regulatory. Yes, it's becoming legalized in states. No, it's not federally legal. And it's a risky industry, like you said. It's really not something other mature industries are dealing with. So there's no example to follow. There's no roadmap for people in the industry to sort of become more legitimate. They're just like ESG, making it up as, as we go and, and using as much resources as we can to make it better. And you know, so there's 11 states that, are, that have legalized marijuana and, and DC, so really 12. And then 18 states have decriminalized it, which means they've removed some of the crim criminal penalties for possession. But because it's federally illegal, banks are very hesitant to give out loans to cannabis companies. Mm -hmm. And that means the only way for, for cannabis companies to get access to financing to scale up and be an actual business is through investors. And who has the money to invest in a very lucrative and very risky business, rich white people, yeah. right? So rich white people are gonna be at the top and make this happen. 
and make it legal. And as they make it legalized, they're gonna have their hands in crafting those laws so it doesn't actually make it equitable, but it actually just benefits the companies that are that the lawmakers are, are profiting from. Yeah. So really it comes down to, to representation and leadership. And that's where if you get not just a room of rich white people who have their equity involved in this, but if you get people of color, specifically black and Latinx people, on the leadership level and all levels from top to bottom involved in heard, then, then there will be an option to change from that business as usual track like it's on right now to something that's much more equitable and not as rigged towards the rich white people. Yeah. I think also the important thing to think about when you're talking about governance is if it's being privately funded and if it becomes federally legal, then it essentially goes into the normal business as usual capitalist instinct of reducing cost. And so reducing cost then means the investors are going to have a say in where that industry booms because they're going to want to cut those costs. And again, that equity issue comes into place where certain states that have lower labor costs and, you know, lower, um, Cost, just cost of doing business are going to get favored over the places where the industry is now emerging on a small scale. And I think those small scale growers are now going to be at a disadvantage. Right, exactly. And, um, and, that, and so that actually goes into environmental, um, if we could switch. Yeah. So I think because, because of the leadership and because of that like business as usual, usual mentality we're talking about, and because it's illegal, you really can't grow marijuana outdoors at scale, at scale, right? So, you know, the majority of growers, they have to grow it indoors. Mm. They can't grow it outdoors. And that means you got to pay for electricity, for lighting, for, for HVAC. So that is, you know, heating, ventilation, cooling. And that means you are not only responsible for a big emissions footprint, but also that's a big cost that you can't you can't cut that cost down unless you actually move to the outdoors. And I'm, I'm not an expert in, in cultivation, but I have researched what environmental issues are most material and electricity is a big problem. Mm-hmm. Another one is water. So you really you need to pay for a special indoor irrigation system and you can't naturally benefit from the rain, for example. And then there's waste. So, you know, anywhere from post-consumer waste packaging. Nicole and I were just lamenting about the styrofoam in, in our packaging from our, um, from our deliveries just before this, but um, to, post-consumer waste is big and also plant waste. You know, mm-hmm. if you're only growing for medical purposes or for consumption purposes, what happens to the rest of the plant? There's only a certain amount of that plant that should be harvested. And I wanted to put environmental after social and governance, not because it's less important. It does have to do with climate change. There's really not much data about how much of an environmental footprint there is because it's illegal and because you can't just keep records of that. Um, And I think that if you change the social, if you change the governance, the environmental will follow in, in step. And that's why they're so interconnected. If you get social equity, then you could get ecological equity too. 
Mm -hmm. I think that's a really important part of sustainability that people don't tend to think of. When people think of sustainability, they think of climate change, they think of emissions, they think of that, that island of garbage that's floating on the ocean somewhere and you only think about it sometimes to get really sad about it. <laughs> um, you know, it's, if you get the social equity, then you can find the environmental solutions. Yeah. And specifically with the cannabis industry, governance has to touch both of those. Absolutely. Leadership matters. If you don't have the right leadership, if you don't have the people who care about the social and the ecological impacts, then it's never going to matter. Um, we talk about this all the time. I mean, it's, I, it's why I chose an MBA in sustainability. It's because I really think that for sustainability to take hold, you have to have leaders who care about sustainability. Exactly. Um, and I totally agree with you. I mean, it's so much more than caring about the polar bears. Um, if we're not taking care of the people in our own species, um, that's an even bigger problem, I think, for me. If you can't respect the people, you can't respect the earth. Yeah. Oh, got a lot to work on. But I love the idea of the cannabis industry kind of taking charge of all of these things as it's emerging. Um, and I think one of the things that I noted in my notes um, that I haven't really prepped you for, so it's okay if you don't have a response for this, but one of the themes of this season of Do What You Can For The People is privilege. And I think that there's an important discussion that needs to happen here around the role of privilege in the cannabis industry, especially as it is becoming more legal and becoming um, more financially viable. And you see, like we've talked about it a little bit more and more white people entering as the financers. So I was wondering if you had any thoughts on that. Yeah, well, as a white person, yeah, I totally have thoughts on that. I think, um, I think at large, our society is sort of facing this idea of white privilege. And some people are accepting it and some people are rejecting it. I think, I think at some point, you know, white people grow up being told that they are good, their skin color is good, people who look like them are good, and what they, and they're right, they're inherently right, and the other is wrong. And I think, I, I just want to start by, you know, making a societal observation before I, I touch on the cannabis industry, and I, I think right now is a lot of the tension is because a lot of people want to reject that white privilege is a thing because it's an uncomfortable thing to think about for someone you know everybody struggles for me my color the color the color of my skin does not add on to the struggles that i already have mm -hmm. and i think that a lot of white people don't see white privilege the way they should because they think it's a way of denying the issues that they already have. But at the end of the day, I feel safe when I pass by a police officer. Not everybody has that. Mm -hmm. And bringing it back to the cannabis industry, white privilege is really, it really shouldn't be there. It has no place in being in the cannabis industry just because all the, the history that's involved with it, you can't just build an industry from white privilege after just really destroying a lot of people's lives. Yeah. 
and there needs to be rep um, representation in the industry. There needs to be people of color, there needs to be black people, there needs to be Latinx people, it needs to be diverse, it needs to be equitable. And white privilege I mean, it's, it's a difficult it's, subject, right? It's like, a really difficult subject, and I totally and agree with you. The, um, on the on the other side, though, like you know, there wouldn't be any investment if it weren't for the white privilege. You know what I mean? There wouldn't be any loans, and there wouldn't be any access to financing as it is if it weren't for rich white people giving the access. But you know, that's really a devil's advocate perspective of it. Um, and I just think it, white privilege needs to be accepted in the, in the industry. At the very least, it needs to be accepted and understood. And there needs to be some kind of diversity, equity, inclusion training really embedded in that for the white people who do join. Yeah. Because a lot of white people do want to make a, a difference. And a lot of pe white people do believe in the power of cannabis. It helps people in different ways. and it needs to be an inclusive movement if it need, if it wants to be successful, much like sustainability at large. Yeah, and I think there's also, there is the racial privilege here, but there's also the economic privilege, right? How there was this massive war on drugs, which was very race-driven, and then people saw it as a business opportunity. And so the economic privilege of saying, oh, it's an opportunity to make money and I can invest money in here and see a return on that money, that needs to be acknowledged as well. Um, because it's, it's kind of fucked up if you think about it, that something was illegal until people realized that, oh, I can make money off of it and like charge taxes on it. So I think that's an important part of the privilege discussion as well. Well said. <laughs> yeah. Always when in doubt, just say it's kind of fucked up. <laughs> it is. It is really fucked up. This is a very, it's like the, this topic is a little fucked up inherently. Yeah which is why I think people really shine from it and people really don't think of it as like a legitimate industry, but there are really so many possible solutions with the plant yeah. and we're just ignoring it. Well, we have had a lot of great discussions today and I know that Mo has included a ton of resources and I did a ton of research. So we'll be including links down below for anyone who wants to learn more, read more, get more educated on the cannabis industry and also the ESG issues within the cannabis industry. Um, I'll also be including links for you to get in touch with Mo if you want to pick her brain about this. I know she would love to talk more. And I just wanted to leave it with you, Mo, if you had any closing thoughts for our viewers, anything else that you wanted to get off your chest? Yes, thank you, first of all, for having me. I love this stuff. I can talk for, for hours about this. Um, I, I have one closing thought about I think, um, first of all, it's, it's super interesting. It's unprecedented. It's in this transition period where it's moving to become legal. And because it has this potential to reshape the industry to be equitable and sustainable, it really hangs on governance. And governance can make the social and environmental changes we need to see. And every industry, again, has different ESG issues. Every company has specific ESG issues. It's a matter of knowing what is important to you and how to measure and manage that. But 
it's a very interesting lens to learn about sustainability, learning about responsible investment because it's riddled with these issues and nobody has the solutions for it. So if you want to learn about ESG, it's not a bad place to start because there are just so many things that are clearly financially material and you can make that connection. And you could use that learning to boost yourself into more complex, more mature industries. And, and you could really have a, an interesting learning experience that way. Well said, always love a good case study. Thanks so much for being on the show today, Mo, and for everyone else, stay tuned for next week's episode. Bye. Bye.